0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: You would come under my roof, I'm not worthy that I would even come to you personally, but you just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. Here's the amazing thing, though their faith was different, it worked in every case, and here's why. It's not the magnitude of our faith, it's it's not how great our faith is, it's how great the one is in whom we place our faith.
0: Oh. In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Power of the Lord. We are in Luke chapter 7, and we're taking up in verse 9. We will be looking at the healing of the centurion servant and the resurrection of the son of the widow from Nain. So let's listen in.
1: Jesus goes on then to to say in the midst of this, well, when Jesus heard these things, we read, he marveled, verse nine, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant, well, who had been sick. Now, we only read of Jesus marveling twice in the, scriptures. the first was back in his hometown of, of Nazareth, where he marveled because of their unbelief. In spite of knowing him and hearing what he was doing elsewhere, these guys couldn't put together what God was doing in their midst. They couldn't get past the fact that they knew this guy, that he grew up there, that, that he played in the streets and studied with their kids. And, and, and now... Well, he, he says he marveled because of their unbelief. Here he marvels because this guy demonstrates a faith that, well, he hadn't seen even in Israel. And these, by the way, they are the children of faith. They are the descendants of Abraham, the father of the faith. They are the ones that are supposed to be walking by faith and not by sight. And he says, I've not seen this kind of faith, not even in Israel. Now track with me on this for a second. We looked a little while back at the story of a paralytic man and his friends had faith that if they could get that guy to Jesus, he'd be healed. And they went to great lengths. They demonstrated their faith in a very practical way. They went up on the roof. They tore the roof off the house. They let the guy down into the midst where he received not just healing, but forgiveness. Jesus dealing with this temporal and his spiritual eternal need. But their faith said, if we can get him to Jesus, Jesus will heal him then there are many that we'll see as we go through the Gospels that they're like, if I could just get next to him and touch him or if I can even touch that which touches him, the hem of his garment, I know I'll be healed. So the the guys who who believe you got to get the guy to Jesus, well, they do just that and. And what happens? He's healed. The the one who says, if I can just touch him or if I can just touch the hem of his garment, they come to Jesus and, and they do that. And what happens? They're healed. This guy says, I'm not worthy to, you would come under my roof. I'm not worthy that I would even come to you personally, but you just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Here's the amazing thing. Though their faith was different, it worked in every case. And here's why. It's not the magnitude of our faith. It's it's not how great our faith is. It's how great the one is in whom we place our faith. It's Jesus, you see. Now, he does say, he marvels and he says, I've not found such great faith. I believe when we exercise great faith in him, that brings great joy to him. I mean, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So, A lot of faith in him. I would think that would be a lot of joy to him. But don't miss this. It isn't like we can pattern him or figure it out. It's not like, well, if we can get people to him, and we should. Or if we can get and touch him, and we should. Or if we can just get him to speak the word and we should petition him for that. The point is, all of these work because they were all directed at the one who is faithful. And it's not how much faith. It's just where that faith is placed. And so uh, if you're one of those people or you have friends who are saying, man, you just really need to grow in your faith. I want to tell you, you're doing that right now. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As we read these stories together and we recognize that he's the same yesterday, today and forever, that he hasn't changed at all. What he did then he can do now. Our faith Will grow. Our confidence in Him will grow. Our our willingness to come to Him and put it all on the line and trust in Him will, in fact, grow. Well, here's the deal what we believe about Jesus will determine how we behave toward Jesus. So if we believe we got to get people to Him, we will. And if we believe we need to connect with Him, we will. And if we believe He can simply say the word, then we'll say, Lord, say the word, and He will. Well, it brings us to a second snapshot, a second picture. And that is just from verses 11 through 17. And we're going to see that Jesus is able with a word to do more than cast out a demon or or to uh, heal the sick. Jesus can raise the dead with just the words from his mouth. It happened the day after he went into a city called Nain. Luke sets the scene for us. Many of his disciples with him. There's a large crowd. So they've traveled from Capernaum, his base. They've traveled down toward Nazareth, but they've taken a detour over to Nain, a relatively small city. As they enter into the city, they have this large crowd. You got a picture. These guys are celebrating. They're happy. They're listening to Jesus. They're rejoicing and walking with him. And they meet another large crowd. And this crowd, we're told, was being led by a woman who had just lost her only son. As he came near the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. So you have the two crowds and they're meeting, one celebrating, one suffering. Hey, as we come together today, though we just kind of sit wherever we can get a seat, that same reality presents itself. There are some here who are just celebrating when the worship started, Man, your heart's overflowed, and you were just in the presence of God and grateful to him. There are some that are suffering and, and sorrowing and, well, experiencing great loss. And, and, well, that's what happens in the scene. That's what happens every time we gather together. You know, every holiday as you get older is bittersweet because when you're a kid, it's just like, oh, Christmas again. But when you're older, it's Christmas without mom or without dad or or, or without your brother or sister or sometimes even your child. That's, that's the reality. And so here she is. She's a widow. She's lost her only son. That is a desperate desperate situation for for a a woman in the first century and in that culture if she didn't have other family members to care for and look out for her she could end up completely destitute well the large crowd is with her and when the Lord saw her he had compassion on her literally he was moved with compassion And that's what happens when our Lord sees the suffering and the sorrowing. When you follow him through the gospels, you'll notice every time he goes into a situation or scene, his eye goes to the one who is most needy. And it's important to know while he wants to meet with and bless all of us today, the more hurting you are, the more available he is, the more, well, he's right there. Moved with compassion, wanting to connect Wanting to minister. Well, he has compassion on her. And then he says, Do not weep. Now, I don't mean to make light of a serious situation, but I try to put myself in these situations and I'm thinking, okay, if I'm with the widow and some stranger comes up, though he seems so kind and genuine, and he just says, Just stop crying. And then he touches the casket. Man, that is going to cause these guys to just say, whoa, that is very strange. Why? Again, to touch a dead body or anything touching a dead body would defile you. They can see that this crowd is Jewish. They're Jewish themselves. And so this is like, okay. Here's this stranger. He's saying not to cry. He's doing that. None of us would do. Well, those who were carrying the body, they were willingly serving and, and uh, they would go and offer sacrifice to deal with all of this. But the Lord saw her, had compassion on her, said, do not weep. He touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still. And then he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Now." The centurion believed if Jesus said the word that that his servant would be healed. And get this, because some people kind of grab hold of something like that and and, and they're like, well, well, here's how it works. It was the centurion's great faith and Jesus testified of his great faith and I have no problem with that. I acknowledge it. I see it. I want to be like that. But let me ask you a question. Whose faith is operating here? You think this widow expected Jesus to talk to her dead son and the son to get up? Do you think anybody in the crowd, even those following Jesus, were expecting something like this to happen? No, the reality is, as he speaks to the dead man and says, I say to you, arise. Man, those people are just thinking, who is this guy and what's he trying to do? Verse 15 tells us, he who was dead sat up. And began to speak. My point is this. While God is blessed by our faith and our faith grows as we're in his word and obedient to his word, while great faith is a great honor to and blessing to him, even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. That's the declaration of scripture. He cannot deny himself. He sees a need. His heart goes out to the person in need. He's not like, man, if you only had some faith, I could have helped you. Or if only they had some faith, I would have helped you. No, he always helps. Why? Because he's moved with compassion. Because he cares. And if we have this example of the centurion who cares, how much more does Jesus care? Well, he says to the young man, arise, he who was dead. I like that. You know, you get this the artist formerly known as Prince. This guy becomes the guy who, the guy formerly known as the dead guy, you know, and, and, and you get that a lot with Jesus. I think I mentioned Donald Miller last time. Maybe not. He says at one point in one of his books, he says, I was dead once and I didn't like it much. And I agree. I, I've been there, too. And so the point here is this guy was dead and now he's alive. And Jesus, well, as he sits up and begins to speak, he presents him to his mother. The crowd, fear comes upon them and they glorified God. You know, that's exactly what he says will happen if we let our light so shine before men that they can see our good works. They'll glorify our father who is in heaven. That's what's happening. Jesus is the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, he declares, but will have the light of life. So he ministers to the mom. He ministers to the son. He meets both of their needs. Now he puts them back together. Fear came upon all. They glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. They would be thinking, whoa, this is so reminiscent. There was this guy, Elijah, and there was this guy, Elijah, and they actually ministered in this very region. And so they had a history and they're like, wow, we haven't seen anything like this, not for centuries, but here it is. And they recognize that, that God is in their midst. Now, they may not have put the whole thing together as clearly as we can. A great prophet, they say, first of all, and he was that and more. But they say God has visited his people. Probably they're just saying God has sent this one into the midst. But we know that, that well, part of the announcement concerning his coming, you shall call his name Emmanuel God with us. God had visited his people and not just by sending someone as a representative, though Jesus was that. He is the exact representation of the father. Hebrews tells us he is the perfect representation. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. You know exactly what he's like because he does what I do. In fact, I only do those things he tells me to do. Well, this report went out throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. This is the first of two of the three resurrections that well Luke actually records for us. Two of the three, John gives us the resurrection of a guy named Lazarus, but note Jesus' compassion in the three. Here he sees a widow and he, and he sees a, 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 a gal who's now losing her only son He's moved with compassion. He restores the son's life, restores the son to the mom, demonstrates his care and concern for both. When we get to Jairus's daughter, it's a man who's lost, again, his only child. She's 12 years old. He's brokenhearted. He comes in time. He thinks and then he gets word. It's too late but Jesus goes into the room, brings the inner circle. And we'll get to look at this story in depth in just a couple weeks, three or four down the road. And so the, the, the thing is, I just want to draw the, the, the you know, picture, connect the dots for you. As he goes in, he, he does what? He speaks to the little girl. And he just says, little girl, arise. And guess what? She does. When he comes to the gravesite of Lazarus, his sisters, dear friends of Jesus, he's demonstrating compassion for them and care for them. My point is when you've lost and we all do and will someone dear to you, God's heart goes out to you. His compassion overflows to you. But there's something else. The sisters each in turn came to him independently said, if you'd been here, our brother would not have died just like the ones who said, if, if we could get him to him or if we could touch him or if he'll just say the word, these guys' faith said, if Jesus had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And um, th- the reality is they didn't have the whole story. We do. We know he intentionally stayed away and let Lazarus die and let time go by. Why? Why? Because, well, the little girl had just died and he raises her from the dead. People would say, hey, they do that with CPR and, you know, they give you the little, maybe he had some electrical gadget no one knew about. He knew that skeptics would look at this and say, oh, that's not that unusual. Or this guy who we don't know how long he had died, the one we're looking at today, but, but we know they were carrying him out for burial. They usually did that soon after. But Lazarus. Four days dead and decaying. The testimony of one of his sisters is, well, when Jesus said, move away that rock, roll away that rock. She goes, he's going to reek, Lord. It's a bad idea because they know four days in that environment, serious decay. And it shows Jesus' ability not just to raise the dead, but to, to deal with the decay. You know, if you die and they put you in the ground. It will only be a while before you pretty much cease to exist. And yet the Bible tells us there's going to be a resurrection and and that he's going to put us back together. It's going to be a different us, a better us, a perfect us and us that's like him. We get rid of these other evil us's and we get the good new us. And and, and in the, the midst of all of that, well, they said, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened Well, it did happen because he wanted to demonstrate his power over death. And he stands at the gravesite of Lazarus and he just says, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus tells us, by the way, in John's gospel that the day is coming. It's in John 5 when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. In fact, Jesus says to those of us who believe, I say to you who hear and believe in him who sent me you have everlasting life and you'll not come into judgment but you've passed from death to life so for the believer absent from these bodies present with the Lord they bury the body you're celebrating in heaven it's not such a bad deal for the one who goes it's just a lot of suffering and sorrow for those of us left behind But then he goes on to say, most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. Later, he says, don't marvel. The hour is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice. As surely as he said, Lazarus, come out. There is going to be a resurrection. He says a resurrection of life for those who believe a resurrection of condemnation for those who don't. And so here's the deal. For those of us who've lost, and that's many of us, mom and dad or mom or dad or brother or sister or son or daughter or husband or wife, he tells us that he doesn't want us to be ignorant, Paul writing to the Thessalonian church, concerning those who've fallen asleep. He uses a euphemism for death because he knows that every person who falls asleep will someday Wake up. Everyone who dies will someday be resurrected. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? He's saying there is going to be a glorious reunion. This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep but the trump will sound and the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, the voice of an archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Here's the picture, suffering and sorrow here, but then there's, there's, there's this resurrection and in the midst of the resurrection, there's this rapture and, and we are reunited with those who've gone before us. We begin to celebrate, and that celebration lasts forever, forever and ever and ever and ever. And he concludes, Paul, as he writes, and it's in 1 Thessalonians 4:18, therefore, comfort one another with these words. He means this story of his power and his ability, this illustration that he can simply say the word and life comes to the dead. It's true physically. And it's true spiritually. You know, there is another resurrection, the resurrection of the unjust of the unrepentant sinner. And by the way, all have sinned. And so there are only two kinds of sinners here, repentant sinners and unrepentant sinners. Repentant sinners are called forgiven sinners. And uh, unrepentant sinners, well, your condemnation remains. Your your sin remains. And he tells us in Revelation chapter 20, the latter part, that there will be another resurrection. It's a thousand years after our resurrection where, where those who died without faith in God, those who died in rebellion still to God, they will be resurrected. And books will be opened and the dead, small and great, will stand before the Lord and they'll be judged by the things in the books. They'll be judged by the works that they did. And I think this is interesting because that's exactly what unbelievers say they want to be judged by. I want to be judged by my own works. And he's like, all right, let's try that. The problem is, as the sea gives up its dead and death and Hades give up its dead, everyone judged according to their works. He says, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Our works, he says, are as filthy rags in his sight. Our best effort falls so far short, but Jesus' death for us, his sacrifice on the cross, the blood he shed, it was sufficient to cover and cleanse every sin of every sinner who ever lived or ever will live. Well, all of that brings me to this. There are repentant sinners, who've received forgiveness, who should live with an expectation of, hey, that Trump will sound, will be reunited with those who've gone before. We will always be with them and always be with the Lord. And there are those who need to repent. And if that's you today, it's this straightforward. You were made by and for God. Your sin is separating you from God not what people have done to you, as bad as that may have been, not the circumstances you've survived, in, but, but the decisions you've made, the way you've responded, your, your sin separates you from God. And only the blood of Christ can reconcile you to God. Only the death he died can give you life. So if you know that, he says, you've already passed from life to death if you've already believed and received, but if not, do it today. Don't let another day go by without making sure you're right with the Lord.
0: In Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 22, we read, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. When reading these verses, it's easy to get caught up on the mountain and not focus on what Jesus is really saying here. Nothing is impossible for God to do. If it's God's will to toss a mountain into the ocean, that's not going to be a problem for him. The centurion trusted this to be true, that Jesus could heal his servant without even coming to him. The only question that needed to be answered was if it was his will to do so. And if we are aligned with God's will in our prayers, there is nothing that is beyond his ability to do. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website ccchico.com or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam.